Um, today, I want to kind of jump right into my message today. Um, we're going to be reading from Revelations chapter 17 and verse 12. And I believe that today's um, events, I believe that today's message has been orchestrated and ordered by the Lord. Uh, the Lord has challenged me this week and this past several weeks and this year so far to step outside of my comfort zone and to take on some things that he is urging me to take on and to step out by faith into what God has planned next for me, for this church, for this community. And I believe that God is going to equip us, not only challenge us, not only convict us, but equip us with the tools that we need, with the relationships that we need, with the connections that we need, because he has a greater work. It's been said before by pastor that the latter will be greater than the former, as the scripture says. And God has a work for this community, for you, for such a time as this. And God will equip you today in Jesus' name. Beginning in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12, it says, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings. This is John's vision who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive the authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful." called, chosen, and faithful. In this scripture this morning, the context of this scripture refers to ten kings. And many theologians and those who have studied this can observe this not necessarily as personal kings, but kingdoms or nations or groups or powers that are at work in our world. And John writes that they will be united with the enemy for the sake of gaining a temporary authority and power and that they will make war with the Lamb, referring to Jesus. But of course, as we read in verse 17, or excuse me, in verse 14, it says, The Lamb will overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords, and He is the King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. And this morning I can say and declare that whenever the enemy of the Lord comes at me, and the enemy wages a war against me. I want to be on the side that is called, that is chosen, and that is faithful. And when you are on the side of the king of kings, you have the king's protection. Isaiah 59, 19 says, So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. When the enemy comes in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. In other words, the enemy is driven out by the Spirit of God that lives inside of me and lives inside of you. Another translation of this verse says that the enemy is driven out by the breath of the Lord, which overwhelms the enemy. And so whenever you are Spirit-filled and you have him living on the inside of you and you speak the name of Jesus over your life, over your family, over your situation, over your community, then the enemy has to be driven out. The enemy has to flee out of your life and out of your circumstance. And that is because when you have the spirit living inside of you, you have the protection 
of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so today, for just a few moments, I want to talk to you about the king's protection and what it means to completely put our faith in God and let him work on our behalf. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you today for what you've allowed us to be. You've allowed us to be here. God, I thank you for what you've given us this morning. I thank you for the spirit that we feel your presence in this house. God, I pray that you would let this word not fall on deaf ears, God, but let us receive this word today. Lord, let it move us and let it shake us. God, let it challenge us to act accordingly with our faith, God, and that you would work on our behalf throughout this day. We give you praise for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The king's protection. For much of human history, kings have existed in nearly every part of the earth, every corner of the earth, reigning over territories and reigning over their subjects. And even to this day, we see kings in modern governments. This past year, we saw King Charles III come to the throne as the king of the United Kingdom. And while his role today may be more of a public figure and a philanthropist rather than a governing authoritative ruler, we can look back through history and see kings who operated with absolute power and authority. In fact, it's only a recent phenomenon that nations do not have an absolute monarch or ruler in the form of a king. You see, history is filled with powerful kings and rulers who operated on their own will and their own authority, claiming lives and claiming territories of whomever they desired. Men such as Cyrus the Great and Genghis Khan, Attila the Hun, Alexander the Great, King Charlemagne, and many, many more. Such kings had ascended to these roles of power, to powerful heights, demanding the highest respect, authority, and rule over the people in their kingdom. And if I may this morning, I'd like to begin with an illustration, and I want to take you to the year 1214 in England under the reign of King John. King John, just 10 years prior in his fifth year as king, lost most all of his ancestral land in France to King Philip II, and he had struggled to regain the land over the following decade. And against the will of the people, King John administered a heavy taxation on his people, on his subjects, in an effort to raise money to fund another war in hopes of getting this land back, because he had lost something. And this infuriated the people of England, and even the king's church's barons were infuriated. And in 1214, King John returned from France in yet another defeat, hoping to reclaim his land, only to find that he was on the other side of victory. But this time, at the literal expense of his own people, he returns back empty-handed. And his people had funded this war, had funded this selfish desire to reclaim what he had once had, both with their finances and with their lives. And instead of going back home to England to regroup and to, and to have rest and reprieve, he returns home to unrest in his kingdom. Both the people of England and the Church of England formed into rebellious factions or groups that were in opposition to the king for his selfish tirade, which came at the expense of his own people. And what happens in the story is rebels took up an oath and they said that they would, quote, stand fast for the liberty of the church and the realm, and wars began to break out on the home front. I want to pause for a moment here 
and introspectively ask myself the question, have I ever found myself in such a situation in my life that I couldn't even find peace in my own home, in my own life? And this was the situation for King John. He had lost his territory in France at the expense of his people trying to fund this war and had returned back to unrest with his own people in his own country. And so everywhere he turned, King John now had enemies and began to feel the pressure. And for all of his reign, the king had lived above the law and made whatever decisions that he wanted to. He was not subject to the, to the laws that governed the rest of the people. He lived above the law, history tells us. He lived above the law and made whatever decisions he chose, regardless of how it affected his people. And so it was with many kings before him who ruled authoritatively. But there was a group of Englanders and church barons that came together in 1215 to create peace within the kingdom. And they wrote up a charter of rights that was called the Magna Carta. Anybody ever heard of the Magna Carta? The Magna Carta was a charter of rights which created a legal system that protected English subjects while also keeping the king in check from absolute authority. And due to the pressures of this warring state on the home front and these rebellious factions and everything that was going on, due to this pressure, the king gives in and signs the Magna Carta into law. And the creation and the signing of this document was a defining moment in history that became a pivotal, pivotal event for Western society. Because the Magna Carta eventually became part of the foundation of modern democratic forms of government and was a large influence in the writing of the U.S. Constitution. This morning in our pre-service huddle, Brother Caleb asked if I needed any props this morning, and I asked if anybody had a copy of the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, and everybody laughed at me, but I have one at home. I just didn't bring it. <laughs> but this document, this decision, this, this charter of rights that was, that was brought up and that was written and that was decided upon by this group of people was signed into, into action, into law. And the Magna Carta, those words, those are Latin words for the great charter. And a charter in this context is a defining statement of one's rights and one's authorities. And what a statement that it was during that time and still today. You see, this statement of authority set in motion a chain of events that has led to our modern forms of freedoms and liberties. And in the midst of uncertainty... In the midst of war, famine, chaos, and doubt, certain individuals whose, whose livelihood was being threatened, they determined to make a stand and declare enough was enough. And if you'll allow me this morning to make the comparison here, perhaps some of you in this place today are in the midst of a spiritual war, a spiritual famine, or perhaps even battling with people in relationships in your lives or feeling the taxing weight of financial burdens and stresses. Perhaps you are fighting sickness in your body or warring against mental and emotional struggles. And if that's you today, then perhaps it's time that you take a stand and declare your authority against the enemy. Maybe it's time that you say, I'm going to I don't care what's happened. I don't care what, what may happen. Right now, I'm taking a stand and saying, this is my authority. This is my right. This is my territory. 
Maybe it's time for your Magna Carta moment. Maybe it's time for a great charter or a great statement that declares your rights as a victor over the enemy. A statement that asserts your freedom from the snares and the traps of the devil that, th- that, that comes your way. And when you make that declaration and assert your rights and authority as a child of God, as a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, you will set into motion a chain of events that will lead to your spiritual prosperity, protection, and liberty in Jesus' name. In the case of England following the Magna Carta, a development occurred that is known as the King's Peace, which established a maintenance of public order. And so it is for us today that God wants us to bring the chaos of life into order and provide us with His peace and His protection, the King's protection. And today, while I'm grateful for the freedoms and the liberties that I have today, nothing can compare to the peace and the protection that I have from the name that is above every name. The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The name of Jesus that is applied to my life today. Nothing can compare to that peace and protection. And so God is calling us today into his protection, into the king's protection. And he wants us to make a declaration of faith in the midst of disorder, in the midst of chaos, In the midst of loss and stresses of life, God is saying, make a declaration today. A declaration of faith is saying, God, I don't know how you'll do it, but I know you will. I don't know how you can forgive the things that I've done, but I know you will. I don't know how you will provide in my situation, but I know you will. Hebrews 11.1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. In other words, my faith is the confidence and the assurance that God will work even in the things that I cannot see. We sing a song here often that says, even when I don't see it, you're working. But faith this morning also requires action. See, I can declare my faith and I can make a statement, but it's useless without my faith in action. The Bible says that faith without works is dead. And when God is urging you to make a declaration of faith and to take a stand in your life, or he's calling you to do something for him in his kingdom, maybe he's calling you to partner with Restore Network or foster or help where you can, whatever it is that God is calling you to do and urging you to do, You make that declaration of of faith, but then your level of faith will determine your action. You see, because I can just say words today, but if I don't have faith that is followed up with action, then it's not going to do any good. Take Abraham, for example. Abraham, throughout his life, God had called him to do some incredibly uncomfortable and challenging things that most of us would never even consider doing or even entertaining the idea of. You see, after decades of waiting for a child, God tells Abraham to travel with his son, Isaac, to an unknown mountain and sacrifice him on an altar. Not knowing where he was going or how the journey would end up, 
probably scared to death and about to lose the one thing that he had prayed so long for. Abraham displays his faith in the scriptures by, it says, the next morning he left for the journey. You see, he didn't sit around for weeks and say, well, you know what, I'm going to think about this. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to pray about this and see if this is what the Lord's will is for me. You see, sometimes we use that as a crutch because God has already told us what to do. So when God tells you to do something the night before, the next morning, we ought to be journeying to our promise. We ought to be journeying to what God has called us to do. And God is wanting to see our faith in action and wants to see our responsiveness to his word. When times are tough and God asks us to do something that is challenging, that's uncomfortable, that's outside of our comfort zone, that is something we would never do. Maybe that's not our personality. We don't have that type of social uh, emotion. We don't have that type of social skill. God is calling us to do this, and, and we think, man, I just, I just don't know about this. But God will equip you with what you need to do what he has called you to do. If God has called you to serve in an area of ministry, but you don't think you're qualified, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. If God is asking you to partner with with another ministry, don't worry about how it's going to happen. Just say yes and do it. Because God will give you what you need for the calling that he has placed on your life. And so whenever we declare our faith in God and we obey his word, his protection is followed with our obedience. When we have faith, we declare and we obey. That is when God's protection ensues in our life. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go out to the place that he would receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Many of us will act upon what God has told us or urge us to do only if we know that it's a sure thing. That's not faith. God urges me to do something, and my response should not be predicated on if I think it's going to work out or not. Faith is obeying the command before you know the plan. I'll say that again. Faith is obeying the command before you know the plan. God told Abraham to leave his present state. He didn't tell him where to go. He didn't tell him how he was going to get there. He just said, go. The key to walking by faith and not by sight, as the scriptures instruct us to do, is found in verse 9 of this same chapter. We just read it. It says, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise. By faith, he dwelt. We have to learn how to wait on God, even when we aren't seeing the answer or the direction and the time or manner that we feel is appropriate or we feel should happen. God is calling us to a level of faith that says, I'll obey your word and I will dwell in it until you say otherwise. You see, we, we, we've, we've gotten down the first few parts of this. We, we declare our faith. We make that statement. We make that declaration. And, and, and then we obey and, and, and we go. 
But then when, when things don't happen on our timeline, we don't dwell long enough for God to give us the next step. And so we go back to where he brought us from instead of being where he wants to take us to. We have to learn how to dwell in God's word and God's promise. And when we do that, when we learn to dwell in his word, our next steps will be taken care of. Psalms 37, 23 says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. When God tells you to sacrifice, he'll be your provider. When the Lord asks you to give up plans, watch him be your way maker. When you exercise your faith, with action, you will start to experience God's protection, God's favor, and God's provision and providence in your life. David said in Psalms 37, 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Philippians 4, 19 says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so today, understand that everything you need will be found in Jesus. Everything that you need will be found in the King of kings and the Lord of lords who wants to offer you his protection through your declaration of faith, through your, your obedience and your willingness to dwell where he has called you to be. And so today, don't, don't delay your declaration of faith. Don't waste another moment living in the uncertainty of life, and allow Jesus to be your protector, your provider, and your king. Instead, so many times in my life, I've made other things king over the king. You see, we make possessions king. We make relationships king. We make money king. We make self-indulgence king in our lives. We make everything else the king in our life except the one who can sustain us. In our opening text in Revelation 17, it says even our enemies will have the appearance of authority, but it's not sustainable. Whatever stronghold has a grip on your life, it's no match for the lamb, the king who has overcome the world, the one who has defeated death, hell, and the grave, the only one who can provide exactly what you need and when you need it, the only one who can save. So today, I urgently say to you this morning that it's time to take a stand. It's time for your come to Jesus moment. It's time for your declaration of faith. It's time for your Magna Carta moment, your great charter against the enemy. It's time for you, you to position yourself on the winning side. On the winning side, the side that says you are called, chosen, and faithful. As I draw to a close this morning, I want to turn your attention to Psalm chapter 91 and verse 1. Psalm chapter 91, excuse me, uh, yeah, verse 1. It says, He who dwells in the secret place, the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and in Him will I will trust. God wants to be your refuge 
and your fortress. Living in the shadow of the Almighty is living with the King's protection over your life. The psalmist goes on in verse 3 to say, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousands at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. God has provision and protection for you that nothing on earth can match. That nothing on earth can fulfill. Nothing on earth can offer. He wants to keep you and preserve you for his sake. He has plans for you to prosper. But this morning, the king's protection requires more than just a Sunday prayer. It requires more than just a statement, more than just words. It requires more than showing up and attending or helping here at the church. It requires more. You see, to be in the shadow of the Almighty, the protection of God as your refuge, you must dwell in the secret place of the Most High. He requires more than just a prayer on Sunday and more than just church work. But he wants you to dwell in his presence. To dwell in something or to dwell in a certain place means you don't leave that place. You see, we have this tendency to have this separation of our life. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. This is my job. This is my family. Then this is my church. And we're we're fine. We're good dwelling in his presence here in this church. But when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're in our car, are we dwelling with God? Are we dwelling in his presence? That doesn't mean you have to constantly be crying at an altar of repentance. No. That means having relationship and communion with him, talking to him, telling him about your day, telling him about your thoughts and your feelings, telling him how great he is. That is dwelling in the secret place. Just as Abraham dwelt in the land of promise and set up his tents, God desires us to set up permanent residence in his presence. When we go through our week, we go through our days, we should continually be in relationship with our Savior and allowing his spirit to guide our footsteps and guide our decisions. His spirit should guide our attitude His spirit should guard our hearts and determine our words. And when we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, which is found in a personal relationship with Jesus, we begin to see his blessings. We begin to experience his protection and his favor. We begin to have angels charged over us so we may be be protected, we may be provided for. God has a plan and God wants to protect you. As I draw to a close, a commentary paraphrased this this excerpt of Scripture by saying, the blessings promised here in Psalm 91 
are not for all believers, but for those who live in close fellowship with God. Every child of God looks towards the inner sanctuary and the mercy seat, yet all do not dwell in the most holy place. It says they run to it at times and they enjoy the occasional approach, but they do not habitually reside in the presence of the Almighty. Those who through rich grace obtain unusual and continuous communion with God so as to abide in Christ and Christ in them becomes possessors of rare and special benefits which are missed by those who just follow from afar. And this grieves the Holy Spirit. Into the secret place, those only who come know the love of God in Jesus Christ. So this morning as we stand, wherever you are right now in your faith journey, in your relationship with, with Jesus, wherever you are, if you are to the point where you, you need to make a declaration and say, God, I'm here, I give you this, I give you my life, make that declaration today. If you're tired of the enemy coming in your life and attacking you, and you're tired of dealing with the circumstances of life and these emotions and these feelings, make a declaration, make a charter, make a statement today that says, enemy, you have no hold on me because I am a child of the king. If you've already made that declaration in your life, then God is calling you into a place of obedience to do what he has called you to do. And perhaps you're even further along and you've, you've, you've done the right things. You've showed up, you've prayed, you, you've, you've worked in the church, you've obeyed what God has told you to do. Now God is calling you to dwell. So wherever you're at on your journey today, God has a place for you. God has a moment for you today at an altar in this church today. If we can, let's lift our hands right now. Let's worship the Lord. Let's make a declaration of faith that says, I am no longer bound by the things that have consumed me. Lord, I step into a season of obedience and a season of dwelling in your presence, in your place, God. If we can, let's make this place an altar this morning. If you would like to make your way to the front this morning, make this place an altar, a declaration of faith this morning. In Jesus' name.